Have you ever sat among nobles? Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless us this morning by the power of the Spirit. We pray that you would unstop our ears, open our eyes, and open our hearts to hear your word and to do your word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ludwig von Battenberg was a German by birth who immigrated to England and rose through the ranks of the British Royal Navy to become first sea lord or head of the Royal Navy. With the advent of World War I, Winston Churchill pressured von Battenberg to resign due to anti-German feelings. In 1917, he changed his name to Louis Mountbatten and received a new title as a new noble by King George V and became the Marquis of Milford Haven. The new British noble's son, Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, was Queen Elizabeth II's husband. There are nobles in the kingdom of God, too. And this morning in Matthew chapter 11, we'll look at the advent of new nobles. The advent of new nobles. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 2. Matthew 11 verse 2. And it says there, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Now remember we saw from last week that John has very clearly self-identified as the new Elijah. He dresses like Elijah. He acts like Elijah. He ministers where Elijah was ministering. So John, as a self-identified new Elijah, saw signs from heaven. Remember, he saw mighty signs from heaven. He heard mighty voices coming from heaven. When he baptized the Messiah, he saw the dove come down upon Jesus as Messiah. He anticipated the glory of the kingdom but here he is in prison under a usurper king of the Jews. He's in prison under Herod Antipas, or Herod Antipater. Herod Antipater meaning in place of the father. He was one of the sons of Herod the Great, the one who tried to have Jesus put to death as an infant. He had anticipated the coming of the kingdom, likely had a lot of the same feelings and the same ideas that first century Jews had about the coming of the kingdom and the coming of the king. But here he finds himself in prison under a false king of the Jews. He seems to have doubts. He has questions. John's inquiry seems related to what he hears. Where, where are the dramatic turning points of the political order? Where is the upturning of everything that we had anticipated? Where is the kicking out of the Gentiles and the reestablishment of the kingdom of David geographically in Israel? Where are the dramatic fiery signs? And here he is in prison. He'll soon be put to death. Verse 4, and Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. Go back to John and report what you hear and see. You see, friends, they've already seen, they've already heard, but they haven't thought about it. They haven't let it percolate in their soul. They haven't matched it up with what the word of God was saying and the prophets were saying about the coming of Messiah, about the coming of the kingdom. Advent is about stopping and taking in things 
the first advent is unpacking itself powerfully. It's happening there in the days of John, even as he's in prison. As he's taken out of the way, as it were, Jesus is coming to the fore. He's announcing the kingdom with word and deed. But friends, I want to say this. The first advent is unpacking itself powerfully. The kingdom is here, and it's been here for 2,000 years. It's the already not yet. The kingdom has arrived and is unpacking itself, but it hasn't been fully consummated yet. And for the last 2,000 years since the first advent, the kingdom is here. Not seeing and hearing the kingdom results in things like dispensationalism. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was a dispensationalist. And all I did was look around at the world and think about how bad things are. And friends, if you don't have a bigger picture and you don't look at history, you're going to think things are terrible. If you spend all your time looking at the newspaper and wondering what's going on in Austin, and that's all you care about, you won't see what's rumbling under our feet. You won't see the last 2,000 years as a kingdom from the first advent has gone from 120 in the upper room into billions and billions of Christians, millions being converted even this week. The kingdom has arrived and is moving powerfully. We've got to see it. We've got to hear it going on to verse 5. Now here's the signs. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. These are the signs that the kingdom has arrived. So Jesus says to these messengers from John, not only what do you see and what do you hear, but then explicitly explains to them what they should see and hear. And notice this, blind receiving sight, lame walking, lepers cleansed, deaf hearing, dead raised up, the poor having the good news preached to them. These were things that the prophets had all said would happen when Messiah would arrive. They need to be reminded of these things. These are things that the messengers of John would have likely known, probably from their training in synagogue as children. Commonly understood prophecies, particularly from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 29, 18. In that day, speaking of the day when the Messiah would come, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom... And darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. And then we've got Isaiah 61, the scroll of which Jesus unrolled and read in his own hometown synagogue. And after he finished reading it, and everybody was looking at him in anticipation, he sat down and said, This has been fulfilled in your hearing. Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now notice that. Jesus says that about himself as he's reading these things. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Jesus' every action fulfills the prophecies of old. The anticipation of the coming of Messiah and what he would do was not corresponding to what the prophets had said. And so Jesus says to the messenger of John, be reminded of what the prophets had said. Look and see and hear what's going on. This is exactly what Messiah is going to do when he arrives. And this is what you see and hear. Remind John that the kingdom has arrived, but the timing of its full unpacking is for God to know. And friends, we struggle with this too, do we not? That's the whole point of the season of Advent. 
You see, Advent isn't simply about us looking back with sentimental values at the first coming of Jesus. In fact, a lot of times the church thinks that's all Advent is. But you notice we're, we're actually purple. That's a penitential season. Why? It's a season of longing as well. We're longing for the final Advent. We look out and we see the kingdom has arrived. It's clearly come with power and great signs. And yet still there's sin. There's death. There's warfare. There's suffering. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are persecuted in prison and even killed to this day. And so we long for the final advent of Jesus. Verse 6. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Let Messiah be Messiah. Jesus here says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That word offended there is scandalizo. It's a verb. It's related to the noun form scandilon. That's where we get our word scandalized or scandal from. Do not be scandalizoed by Jesus. Translated, it could come out as to be caused to stumble, to be shocked or offended by. Do not be scandalizoed by Jesus. The rulers of Israel in the first century will be scandalizoed by Jesus. Why isn't he kicking the Gentiles out and reestablishing the kingdom of David the way we want it to be? Why is Jesus not calling fire down from heaven upon sinners? Why is Jesus calling out our sins? Why is he moving too slowly and too graciously? They were scandalizoed. But friends, there's a lot for us to be scandalizoed by Jesus too. If you think God is too patient with sinners, you want to call fire down from heaven on the filthy, destructive, professional rioters of Antifa and Black Lives Matters. And believe me, justice needs to be served for criminal activity. But if all you think about is God calling down fire from heaven and forget that they need Jesus too, you're scandalizoed by Jesus if you look down on blue-collar, unsophisticated, fundamentalist Christians who've never read Dante or Calvin's Institutes, you're scandalizoed by Jesus. If you're upset this Advent season so you can't stop angrily and anxiously thinking about politics or feeling you're trapped in your marriage or convincing yourself that you're in the financial situation that you don't deserve your ungrateful and your scandalizoed by Jesus. Let's go on to verse 7. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. Now, it appears here that, that Jesus had strongly rebuked the ideas of John and his doubting and wavering in this. It almost seems as though he rebukes these messengers of John and rebukes them to bring the rebuke back to John. But in order to correct this and to remind his hearers of who John really is, lest anyone thinks John is faithless, Jesus cuts them off at the pass. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? I believe there's actually a cut here against Herod Antipas in this. Herod, the king of the little portion of Herod the Great's kingdom who has 
John the Baptist being held in his prison, on his coins, he had upright branches or reeds. Who's the reed shaken by the wind? It's not John the Baptist. John stands up bold for the truth of God. It's actually Herod. He's the one who's a reed shaken by the wind. He's the one who's always worried about something seizing his kingdom from him. He's the one who's always worried about family members maybe taking over. He's the one who's always worried about the true king of the Jews pushing him out of the way. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A man in soft clothing? It wasn't John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the wild man of the wilderness. He was wearing camel hair and a leather belt around his waist. No, soft clothing, and there's a cut here again for Herod, is for the effeminate. It appears Herod was a pretty effeminate type of chap, hanging around inside the king's palace, being pushed around by his wife, into even killing a man that he was fearful of and had some respect for, and yet he was more fearful of his wife. He was one who wore soft clothing. He was one who had soft clothing on amongst men in soft clothing in king's palaces, but not for those imprisoned in king's dungeons. Going on to verse 9 in Matthew 11. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. These are pretty staggering words, are they not, friends? Jesus here says that John is the greatest. Of the old covenant prophets. Jesus says John is greater than all those born among women. He's the greatest of all humanity in this sense. John's the greatest of the old covenant prophets. Think about that for a minute. Jesus said this. Jesus says that John is greater than Moses. Jesus says that John is greater than Elijah. Jesus says that John is greater than Isaiah or Daniel. Why? Is he greater because he said more words? Is he greater because his prophecies were grander? No, friends, the point of it is he has been reserved for the specific purpose of being the last and final of the old covenant prophets. He's honored with the place to close out the old age and run right before the chariot of the arrival of Messiah. He's the herald of the new covenant and of Messiah. But friends, I want you to notice what comes up next. Now Jesus says, John the Baptist is the greatest of those born among women. He says that John the Baptist is the greatest of all the prophets. Verse 11, yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So John is the greatest of all the prophets. John is the greatest of all those born among women up to that point in time. The greatest of the greatest, yet every believer sitting in this room, this Advent morning that includes you kids, is greater than John. Is greater than John. Why? Because the kingdom has arrived. And we walk in the wake of the first Advent of Jesus who died, rose, and ascended. We walk in the days of the full revelation of God's word. John only had the Old Testament he was looking forward just like the saints of old. He saw it as though it were dimly in the future. Messiah is coming, but what will he be like? We know what he was like. 
We know that he's seated now in heaven. A man is seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father, reigning and ruling over the cosmos and loving you. Can I hear an amen to that? We walk in the days when the Holy Spirit has been poured out in powerful abundance to the ends of the earth. We walk in the days after the first advent when the kingdom is broken in and the whole world is being brought into the kingdom. When Nazi Germany fell at the end of World War II, there was a leadership vacuum. Former Nazis were forbidden from public office. And so people who had been persecuted by the Nazis were on the top of the list as the highest order of Germany was turned on its head. One of those was Konrad Adenauer, former mayor of the city of Cologne. Adenauer had spent World War II being harassed, imprisoned, nearly executed, and on the verge of being sent to a death camp. But with the change of fortunes, the Allied government elevated him to the highest office in West Germany, Chancellor. Advent turns the world on its head. And the first advent of Jesus the Christ raised the low high and the high low. Those who had been harassed by sin and death were given eternal life and forgiveness. Those who were outside were brought near. Those who were at the end of the line as pathetic peasants of the fall were elevated to the status of sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This morning we've seen the advent of new nobles. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the sending of your Son. We thank you for the sending of your kingdom. We thank you that we are the new nobles of that kingdom. May we live rightly in the light of this, even this Advent season, calling others in to join us as nobles of the kingdom. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.